0: Psalm 8 and then uh, Hebrews 2. O Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth! You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And Psalm, sorry, Hebrews chapter 2, starting at verse 5, and it's on page 1204 on the Church Bibles, 1204. Hebrews 2, starting at verse 5. Now, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, He left nothing outside His control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. But we see Him, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. I will put my trust in Him. And again, Behold, I and the children of God have given me. Since therefore the children are shared in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery.
1: Thanks, Henry. Good morning, all. morning. morning. Okay, we're a little bit flat here this morning. I don't know if it's the the new lights. Everyone's thinking, oh, my complexion looks bad with these bright lights. We haven't had uh, bright lights here for a long time, but we are thankful for those people who put them in. But listen to this. No noise. Yes. It's the little things that we're on about here at St. Matt's. Uh, I do want to say we do love Mother's Day. We uh, are so thankful for the mums. The mother figures and the spiritual mums that are amongst us. And uh, so much to thank God for, and so much for us to uh, pray that we would grow up in a family that care for each other. And gosh, aren't mums needed? Aren't uh, they absolutely bless us? Um, friends, um, we have just heard God speak. How about I pray, and then we'll uh, jump into this passage. And um, Father, you've just spoken to us this morning. And we pray now that by your spirit, you might stir us to see Jesus more clearly. And Father, if it's for the first time, whether you to the things of Jesus or those of us who have been Christians following Jesus for many decades, we pray that we might know you better and delight in the Son, our Saviour, more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the passage starts by reminding us, that this world is not all there is. You see that in uh, verse 5 there. He kind of continues his argument. He says uh, that the angels God subjected the world to come. Uh, He reminds us that the Christian hope is one that is not finally based in this life. It actually ends there as well. Have a look at 3 verse 1, just the next verse that we didn't read this morning. He says... Uh, You know, therefore, as a result of this amazing truth, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in the heavenly calling. See, uh, Hebrews here kind of has all sorts of way of speaking about this heavenly calling, the world to come. He calls it the Sabbath rest, calls it the heavenly city. And what's he referring to there is he's referring to the community, to God's community in the spiritual dimension, eternal life. The world to come. Now, I'm sure if you've ever thought for a moment that is a place where you would want to go and want to be. Uh, you know, kind of the place with no more suffering, no more tears. Now, the point of this sermon, which is what we just kind of jumped into of Hebrews, is so that all of us would make it there. The author, the writer, the preacher, he wants us to reach heaven. Uh, that's his goal. But the reality is, for many, it's hard. It takes suffering, enduring. Uh, and more than that, we're in danger of drifting. Last week we saw that, didn't we? So the, the Hebrews people, they were once these enthusiastic, sacrificial followers of Jesus. They had endured persecution, but now they're in danger of drifting away. Deep danger, real danger. And it's easy for us too, isn't it, to be in danger. We can lose sight of our home in heaven, uh, life, the world just gets and fills our horizon, doesn't The day-to-day things that we do. And we can be tempted just to drift, to lose, to forget. Uh, it's it's kind of like, um, I don't know if you love, I love surfing, and I'll often sit in the ocean and just look out to the ocean and just delight in it. But then I'll turn around and go, gosh, I've just moved 100 metres and I'm nowhere near where I want to be. Uh, but it's this drift. It's kind of like that with life. Uh, you don't decide to drift. It takes you. It's a drift, a gradual moving off. And, and the author, the preacher, he wants us to say, he wants us to pay close attention. Uh, he wants us to, to come to Jesus and stick with him. And the way he does that for us this morning is he draws attention to the fact that this eternal God- Man, the one who created all things, became human. He became one of us. He put on flesh and blood. We see it in the whole passage. Verse 9, you know, we see him who for a little while was made lower than angels. That's namely Jesus. Verse 14, since therefore children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same thing. Verse 17, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Jesus, the eternal son, became a man. Uh, the word people call it is incarnation. Uh, the, you know, incarnate literally means to put on flesh to become human. Now that the God who rules and creates and sustains all things would come into his world and become a man? That's outrageous, isn't it? I mean that's that's astounding. I mean, bizarre. I mean, who would have thought of that? Um, especially as we reflect on who this son is in the last few, the last chapter. You know, 1 verse 2, the one who made the universe, 3, the radiance and the glory of God. He towers above angels. He's God, the eternal one. This one became human. You know, on average, humans are 40 kilos oxygen, uh, 11.2 carbon. Uh, 6.2 hydrogen, 2 kilos nitrogen, plus a few other things. I mean, I'm probably double all that because I'm definitely not the average weight. But the astounding thing is that the, the, the God, the sun eternal, he, he became that. He put on frail humanity, arms, legs. I, I don't know if you've been a Christian for a while and you're just like, oh yeah, makes sense. I've heard this one before. You just, you forget how astounding how kind of bizarre and unreal it is. And if you're new to the things of Jesus, you might think, what the heck? Really? Thank you. What the heck? Really? God is a person? I mean, God the Son is a person? Now, over the years, people have had real struggle uh, with Christianity because of this. See, how can we worship a man? Uh, One of the earliest depictions of Jesus is found in Italy uh, in the 1st or 3rd century. Not quite sure. Has, have people seen this before? Um, here's a depiction of Jesus uh, showing him uh, like as a man and a donkey's head. Uh, the inscription says, look, I don't know how to say this. Can someone help me? Alexemenos. Yeah, I like the accent too. Uh, worships, he's God. You know, it's, it's kind of like... Like, this is what Christians worship, kind of a a man donkey dying on a cross, uh, just seems ridiculous to worship this kind of God. Muslims, they, they believe it's blasphemous to say that God became a man. Now, it does raise the question for us this morning, doesn't it? Why on earth did God become human? Why would he do such a thing? Well, this passage answers it for us. Uh, it, and really, in the nutshell, it's to redeem mankind, to redeem people, humanity. Put simply, God became a man to die for us. Now, I want to explore this wonderful old truth this morning, and I pray that it will do, as it has for me, lead me to rejoice, delight in this Jesus, and that we might cling to him, uh, and that he might hold on to us. Structurally, I have three sections I think it's going to come up. Um, uh, why Jesus came there's a three if you're a note taker you can put those on we will work our way through that but the first thing uh, he came is to bring us to glory secondly he came to be the brother who delivers us from our enemies and thirdly he's the priest who satisfies God with our sins so firstly the man who brings us to glory um, verses 5 to 10 kind of um, build to the conclusion in verse 10 uh, through the, the, the psalm there. You can see it uh, as he does with the four there. You know, four, for the reason just outlined, verse 10, it was fitting that he whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the fountain of their salvation perfect through suffering. That's his conclusion, but let's work our way there from the top, from the psalm. Uh, verse 6 and 7, uh, he quotes Psalm 8. That's the psalm we read out. And in Psalm 8, it's really just a, you know, it's a, a praising God for his astonishing kindness to humanity, to humans at creation. For where he, the elevated he position, he put them in. Verse 6, he says it's been testified somewhere. I love that. I don't know where it is. Don't want to about asking, but it's somewhere. and I know it to be true. What does he say? He says, what is man that you are mindful of him? or the son of man, that's just a descendant of a human, that you care for him. You made him for a little while lower than angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. See that amazing dignity bestowed by God. In, and you put everything in subject and under his feet. See the psalm there is an expression of kind of total dominion, domination, isn't it? Uh, in, and in Psalm 8, he's talking about humanity in general. God, you're amazing. You put mankind as kind of kings over your creation to to rule and care and look after it. But, verse 8, what do we get here? At present, we don't see this. We don't see everything in subjecting to him. Now, that's a pretty big understatement, isn't it? It's a pretty brief comment. Humanity, we have this sense that we were made to rule, to conquer, to reign, And that we're special. Not just like the, you know, our parents tell us we're special, you're special, you're an individual, you know, but that we're actually different from animals. We seek to master, to tame, to build, to grow. Yet the evidence is that we're unable to do this, isn't it? Why is it that every time I go camping, that one week it always seems to rain? You know, we kind of we we go to puppy school to try and get our dogs just to poo in the right place. Um, you know, from the it's just trivial, but there's you know there's devastating things that we're unable to rule. You know, with the advancement of our technology, we can't even predict or with any accuracy. We're unable to stop fires, floods, rains, droughts, tsunamis. See, at present, no matter how hard we try, we don't see this reality. We don't see everything subjected to humanity: cancer, greed, AIDS, violence, inequality. Not to mention death death gets us all it always has the last last laugh so just as an aside you know when when you're thinking about your world and your experience the bible the truths that we have here can just have such explanatory power don't they what you experience what you desire yet you're re, the reality you live in the bible captures it it, it makes sense of the world we live in but the key for us to understand here is the phrase, under his feet, in verse 8. See, so the author has purposely picked Psalm 8 because it directly relates to Psalm 110 from chapter 1, verse 13. See, so in Psalm 110, it's the king who has his enemies under his feet. They're like a footstool in verse 13 there for the feet of the king. And it's interesting, whenever Psalm 8 Uh, is quoted in the New Testament, 110, some 110, is always quoted with it. And that's to show that it's the king who always fulfills the destiny originally created for mankind that God had for humanity. So verse 9, he kind of lands this with us. He says that what was meant for humanity in general, now we see it fulfilled in Jesus, in this unique son, the one man. Verse 9, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. See, God the Son became man, became the man of Psalm 8 and completed the trajectory God intended for all of us, the the glory that he had in mind for all of us. So that in verse 10... This one might bring many sons to glory. See, Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalm 8, and we get caught up in his fulfillment. It's like as though God comes to collect us and bring us to this glorious position that we were originally had, but we catastrophically have muffed up by our sin. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? That this one, this Eternal Son came to be man, not just for Himself, not to bring glory for Himself, but He came for our glory, to bring us to glory. Uh, verse ten it says that it was fitting that He would suffer. You know, it was appropriate, it was right, not just that one Son would go to glory, but that through death and suffering He would bring many Sons to glory. Who who are the Sons? Well, it's everyone who puts their faith in Jesus. It's everyone who trusts Jesus. Uh, it's those who are by faith are children of Abraham. They trust in him. And it's sons, not sons and daughters there, because the eldest son would receive the inheritance. But he's not saying that women aren't part of this. No, he's just saying that male and female all equally inherit this glory in Jesus. Uh, verse 10 uh, Jesus is the founder of our salvation. He's like the, the champion. Uh, he's perfect, he's qualified, he's sufficient because he endured suffering for our sin to bring us what, through what we deserve to what we don't deserve. In other words, it's only because God the Son entered into humanity that anyone can reach the glory that anyone can reach this joy in heaven that we're created for. And he didn't do it for himself. He did it for us. Now, the timing thing, I think, is significant for us, isn't it? Because it gives us this eternal perspective. When you think about your life, your circumstances, I don't know whether you feel glorious or great. Uh, It feels the furthest thing from how I would explain my life, glorious and great, But this awaits us. It awaits us in fullness in the time to come. And he wants us, the author wants us, to set our eyes on that reality. To live with that. To know that this life isn't it. See, Jesus is ruling and reigning. Psalm 8, that has happened. Yet, Psalm 110, we await for its completion. We are waiting for that full completion of it. And that's when he returns. And the reality is that while we wait, we suffer. He doesn't take away our hardships. And, you know, some of us suffer more than others. I can see that. I can't explain why. But we know that God has done something about it. And this perspective that he has helps us to know how to deal with it now. See, glory awaits us, all of us, in the world to come. Your best life is yet to come and it helps us to live right now, live well now. I love the words, for a little while. For a little while, kind of capture this time frame. Think about it, the, the son eternal, for a little while, became man. In, in relation to all eternity, he, for 30, 30 odd years he spent, for us, this time now, for a little while, then we'll get to experience the joy and glory of eternity with him. Our experience now will be like, you know, like a toilet stop on the freeway or a lunch break, it'd just be so fleeting compared to that eternal joy we will have. Okay, that's the first point. Jesus came to earth, put on flesh and bone to bring us to glory in the world to come. Secondly, Uh, Jesus came to earth as the brother who delivers us from Satan. Verse 11. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children of God has given me. Since therefore... The children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subjects to lifelong slavery. You see, not only is Jesus the one who brings us to glory, uh, but he's our brother who delivers us from Satan. Uh, Verse 14, Jesus partook. He shared in humanity. Now, he didn't do this reluctantly or unwillingly, but deliberately to deliver us from the devil. Why? Because he considers us family. He considers us his brothers. Uh, Verse 11, 11, he's not ashamed to call us his brothers. Uh, For Jesus, blood is thicker than water. And that's the point of the three Old Testament passages here, uh, verse 12 is Psalm 22. Uh, this is about a king who's rescued from terrible suffering. You know, it's the, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, Psalm? Uh, but this one, Jesus says, this is me. I'm the king who's been rescued. And I'm not afraid to refer to all those in church or the congregation, my brothers. Um, Jesus is the one saying this. Of course I would suffer for my family. Verse 13 Uh, He's got the two quotes there from Isaiah 8. Uh, And Jesus is saying, he's demonstrated the trust in God. Uh, And he's saying that those God has given him are children, brothers, co-heirs. See, if you're a Christian, you're a child of God. See, why is it here that Jesus put on flesh and blood for our sake, for his brother's sake, to achieve a double victory? See that in verse 14. First, he came to destroy the devil, the one who has the power of death. Verse 14, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Now, this is no fairy tale. Like, we're not talking um, Harry Potter and Hogwarts here. Now, there, there is a spiritual realm. Uh, there is this reality, and Jesus really did defeat and conquer the devil in what sense does the devil have power of death well although uh, God's just and right consequence of sin is death the devil is the one who promotes and tempts us to sin and then when we do he kind of claims the judgment of God on us to, to, to you know, you, for you to be just God you ought to condemn them he's kind of like the bully at school uh, you know, who teases and tempts and promotes and provokes, you know, the, the, the child to snap. And then when he snaps, he goes to the teacher and he says, look, he's just done the wrong thing. See, punish him, put him on detention. Uh, but to a much lighter extent, obviously. Um, but see, the devil at death, it's a death, he's against humanity. He's against us. He wants to drag us to hell with him. And um, that is the power of death he has over us. He wants to keep us trapped under condemnation. Uh, He wants to keep us trapped in the eternal death and punishment for our sins. And here's the wonder. This is Jesus came as a man and suffered his death in our place so that he would break the power of Satan over us. See, if you are in Christ, if you're a Christian, if you trust him, Satan can shake his fist at you all he likes. He can point out all your wrongs, all your sins, all your fails where you haven't loved as you ought. But in Jesus, the law has been fulfilled. The penalty has been paid for. The, the devil has no power over us, no claim. Secondly, uh, that we see the victory of Jesus that we are delivered from the fear of death. Verse fifteen, and those who, through the fear of death, were subject to a lifelong slavery. See, have you guys had a near-death encounter yet? Yes. Um, you know, I've, I, there's a, there's a few that I can think of. I jumped off a cliff, and I thought I was paralyzed. There's um, kind of the moment you see a shark in the ocean, you think, "Oh, I'm, I'm a goner." Uh, I don't know what it is for you. Car crash. What I don't know what you know what there are things that um, have happened. If you haven't had one yet, I'm sure it will. But many of us in those moments are so aware, aren't we, of our real guilt and shame before God, and we live in terror of that moment. We we fear that moment. And as much as we try to hide, ignore, push down that niggling reality inside of us, we all know it to be true. But here's the reality. Those who trust in Jesus, he took their punishment, there's nothing left to fear in death. Death is now the doorway to paradise. It's the way to be in the presence of God. I remember my uh, brother-in-law talking to me about this when we had a death in the family. And he said, "You know, while it's sad, all this stuff, he said, but this, this person is where we want to be. This person is with Jesus in glory. Uh, the pain is for us while we wait for our turn to get there. But we will see them again soon. See, no longer the fear of God's eternal judgment on us, but he's our brother who takes away that fear and brings us home to glory. See, I think the picture here is kind of like Jesus as our, our big brother who loves us and he wants to sort out that big bully uh, who's making our life miserable for many years. I don't know if you been bullied, I don't know if you are bullied growing up, maybe you have. But the point is, all of us have a spiritual bully. He's called the devil, Satan. And he's made our lives miserable, so frightened by death, by so conscious of how guilty we are. But Jesus is our big brother who's kind of came into the playground and sorted him out once and for all. The devil can never hurt or bully us again if you're a Christian. We don't have anything to be frightened of. Nothing can stick to us because Jesus has taken it for us. We're like Teflon. Good Teflon, not old Teflon. Those charges and the accusations they'll throw us, Jesus loves us to bits. See, Jesus became man not only to bring us to glory with him but to conquer the bully who is the devil. Thirdly, and finally, Jesus became man to make right for our sins. See, Jesus is the priest who atones our sins before God. Verse 17, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Why? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. See, Jesus came into the world not only as our brother, but as our high priest. And he had to become man to qualify as a great high priest, to represent us before God. I mean, what's the priest's language? We're going to dig into this over the next few chapters. But if you flick over to chapter 5, verse 1, chapter 5, verse 1, it says that every high priest is chosen from among men, and is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. See, the high priest, it's uh, one of the people like us who were to represent us to God, to, to offer sacrifices to God. Um, now, he represents us. Uh, it's like an ambassador. Now, I did some Googling. That our, I know we've got lots of in, Indonesians here. Does anyone know who our ba- ambassador to Indo is? no, Penny Williams, I think, do I do have a photo? No, don't have a photo. Penny Williams, for her to be our ambassador, she has to be an Australian, right? She has to be one of us. Now, she is born in Tassie, but I think that is part of us. Uh, just makes a cut. But you have to, if you want to be an ambassador of Australia, you have to be an Aussie. Uh, they represent us. And likewise, Jesus is one of us. He became human. He represents us before God on our behalf. Yet, unlike us, he is without sin. He had to become a real human to qualify himself as a high priest, and he represents us perfectly before God because he's un, uh, because he's without sin. Verse seventeen: the second thing he does is to make propitiation for our sins. Now, that word is a kind of a technical word, propitiation, and really, it's just to pay the penalty for our sins. Uh, to pay the price, to deal with God's right, just anger against us, His wrath against sin. Now, this is not a popular view uh, in the world, and even even amongst Christians. It's, it, but it is a biblical truth. Uh, it it is a God who is rightly angry at sin. Uh, and can I just say, if He wasn't, I don't know whether He could be good. And he could be just. I don't know whether he'd be worthy to be worshipped if he didn't care about sin. But Hebrews in the Bible is clear that while God is angry at sin, we all should die for that ourselves. We all should experience his condemnation, the judgment of our sin that we have done. But here is the goodness of Jesus. He died in our place. He took the wrath of God against our sins. And that means... When we meet God, and we all will, we don't have to worry. We don't have to think, what am I going to say to him? He will say to us, you have no problem. Your sins have been dealt with entirely. We won't need to give an account because he will say, all dealt with Jesus. Welcome home, son, daughter. Welcome home. The incredible thing about Jesus as our high priest is that he does going to make a sacrifice to god on our behalf but he himself is the sacrifice see friends the incarnation it's not an afterthought for god it's actually central to his plan to save humanity it's central it's not a nice bit of theological trivia see without the incarnation we would not have the atonement Without Christmas, there's no Easter. Without Jesus coming and born as a man, there's no forgiveness. There's no glory in the world to come. There's no heaven. Friends, we can praise God, this one, that he would enter into his world. And friends, lastly, more than that, because he was a human, he's able to help us as we head our way home. Verse 18, because he has himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. See, he's the high priest who represents us to God and satisfies him with sacrifices himself, but also he represents God to us. And he helps us be the people of God he wants us to be. It goes both ways, the high priest role. And Jesus, as a man, he knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to drift. And maybe you're here and you think, there's no way God understands what I'm going through. Can I say, he does. See, the thing about temptation is it gets harder the more you resist, not easier. Jesus resisted his whole life. He didn't sin his whole life. He went through the toddler years the tantrum years. He went through the teenage years. He went through the years of knowing everything in his 20s. He's, he was a 30-year-old. He knows what it's like to be human and he is able to help. And he is faithful when we are faithless. See, this rescue, him dying our place, uh, it's, it's more than um, the... what's it? What was his name in the kid's talk? Merrin? Marvin. M- Marvin. Merrin, what did I get? Marvin. Marvin's, well, anyway. Uh, it's, it's more than he just came down and pulled people up. He came down and he sacrificed himself in our place. He, he's, see, the thing that is common to all these things about why Jesus came as man, you know, the, to be the one to bring us to glory, to be the one to free us from the devil, to, to be the priest who made us from our sins, in each case, he has to die. It's his death that is central to his plan. He came as a man so he could die for us. Friends, can I just remind you again of this central truth to Christianity, this this amazing truth? Encourage you, please don't take your eyes from looking at Jesus. Consider him, fix your eyes on him because he is the God-man who stepped into his world, his creation, and he's bringing us to glory. He's defeated Satan our bully and he's the one who's made atonement for our sins that's why we love him that's why we're so thankful for him how about i pray that we would never drift away from him heavenly father I just thank you for this amazing chapter and whether it's for the first time or the hundredth time hundredth time we do praise and worship you from our hearts for jesus that you that, that god the son became man the eternal one he put on flesh for us to bring us home to glory to free us from the bully and to deal with our sins on the cross and we pray that here at st Mat's, we would never tire of these same old truths we pray that you would so work in us that this the spirit would just convict these and lay these on our hearts that we would fix our eyes and thoughts on jesus and that by your spirit we would never drift or give up we pray this in jesus name amen